0: Hi, my name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to the Bible in a Year, the Story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day seven, Genesis 12 through 13, John 1 and 2, Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 in the NIV version of the Bible. Genesis 12, the Lord had said to Abram, Abram was seventy-five years old when he set out from the Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Nagoth. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace." He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herd herders and Lots. The Canaanites and parasites were also living the land at the same time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine. For we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tent. There he built an altar to the Lord. Job 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their home on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house... A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sebions attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind... "'swept in from the desert "'and struck the four corners of the house. "'It collapsed on them, and they are dead. "'And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. "'And this, at this, Job got up and tore his robe "'and shaved his head. "'Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, "'Naked I came from my mother's room, "'and naked I will depart. "'The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. "'May the name of the Lord be praised. "'And all this,' Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. The Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Nemethite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Proverbs 1, 1 1-7 The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction is prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction." Wow, that's a lot to take in. I titled this uh, this entry as Faithfulness and the Challenge Despite Circumstances. Now we move away from the early world and towards a new period in the story, which Jeff Cavins describes as the patriarchs. It is the story of the fathers, mothers, and families that are the first Jews that become Israel and are the chosen people of God to carry his story forward and include the actual genealogy that leads to Jesus. These stories are some of the first that deal with the what-if and even-when questions of faith. Questions like Abram, what if I'm killed because Pharaoh wants my wife? And Job, asking even-when questions, even when I suffer, what will I choose? Faith or foil? Foil means to seek to prevent. Will they seek to prevent or distance themselves from what is undesirable and deeply uncomfortable to the point of pain? There is a difference between comfort and peace. Peace can be inner or outer freedom from war or the fear of hostility and violence, whereas comfort is the felt experience or act of easing pain, grief, and distress. We can have peace in discomfort, and we can be comfortable but not have inner peace. If we pursue comfort over the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, we have put ourselves before God and we will struggle with inner peace, regardless of the presence or absence of comfort. Another thing to note, Abram and Sarai still struggle with sin, even though they were called by God. Father Mike Schmitz points out that even as Abram and Sarai follow the Lord, there is still a dislocation and alienation from God's way in some of their choices. This is why I don't like it, even in children's stories, when we discuss people of God as heroes or the faithful, without the very important clarification and qualification, because I think it leads children to believe that the people of God are wholly perfect and do not struggle with sin. Remember Genesis 4? Sin has a desire for us and is knocking at the door, but God can and will empower our ability to master it. Children need this complexity, as do adults, in order to see who God is and who we are and how this relationship requires a growth mindset in our daily lives. A growth mindset acknowledges failure and sin, but asks the question and seeks to grow forward while a fixed mindset focuses on absolute and current status of goodness or badness, talent or intelligence, and most often de-emphasizes the importance of practice towards progress. And in our upload real-time world, I think we expect to Google search and know something, but that's just information. Knowledge is built through practice and the ability to retrieve the right information and know how to use it in the right way at the right time. This requires discernment, yet our culture seems to focus on perfection over discernment and information over knowledge. The pursuit of perfection often leads to paralysis and sometimes a pharisaical heart. Yet the pursuit of Christ-likeness is more of a growth or innovation mindset where we pursue God through knowledge, wisdom, and discernment from the scriptures, prayer, relationship with mentors we think are further along in this pursuit of Christ-likeness and participation in the church. And we are reflective, creative, and empathetic in the sense that we acknowledge our failure and our feelings, but we ask God and we ask ourselves and others, how do we take our heart and behavioral steps forward towards restoration? redemption and christlikeness when we fail or fall as dr elmore stated in a sermon at church today at trinity lutheran anaheim god called us into creation care and to be part of god's rescue mission we were made for this we were made to go be sent to do Dr. Tim Mackey in The Bible Project and Bible Nerds found on YouTube talks about how Job is an interesting book of the Bible because it sets it's set in the land of Uz, far from Israel, and Job was not even an Israelite. There is also no clear historical setting for the time period, and all of this seems very intentional, which is somewhat the opposite of the story of Sarah, Sarai, and Abram, which is historical and very specific. The author... Of Job doesn't seem to want us to be distracted by historicity, but focus on the point, the moral of the story and on the questions raised about the experience of suffering. Job 1 and 2 is a narrative prologue, and it will be followed by dense Hebrew poetry with four conversations Job has with what is often referred to as the friends, followed by speeches by God to Job, and it ends with an epilogue. In Job 1, we are introduced to Job, who is described as blameless, righteous, and honors God. He is clearly mature in the creation, care, and rescue mission of God in his practice of work, love, and leisure. Then we are transported to the heavenly realm, where God is holding court with his staff team. Dr. Tim Mackey describes the illustration as something commonly used in the Old Testament to paint a picture for how God runs the world. In this court is the Satan, Satan. Father Mike Schmitz points out the Hebrew word hastan uh, means the accuser. So Satan means the accuser who is telling God that Job is only faithful to God because of the blessing he has, the prophet. So again, the relationship between the purpose and the prophet is being called into question here. Does Job think the purpose is prophet or that purpose is separated from prophet? And does Job have faith that God is in control of the prophet and wants to bless him? The accuser is saying that the moment you take away the blessing, Job will be faithless or against your purpose, God. Then God allows the accuser to make Job suffer. Our brains are typically like, what? Why? And we hope and expect the rest of Job to answer this question, but it doesn't answer the question regarding why God allows suffering. The book of Job is not asking or answering this question. Instead, Dr. Tim Mackey explains how the book is asking if God is just and asking if God runs the world according to this justice. We'll talk about Job's debate with his friends and God's response in the next few days. In conclusion to our reading today, Abram, Sarai, and Job are imperfect, yet they demonstrate faith. Abram chooses to put Lot first in the picking of land, as I say with my children, if having and sharing is in conflict. Sharing is more important than having according to scripture. Does this mean having is sinful? No. But when there is a conflict, share and offer the first and bigger peace to the other as if the other were the Lord. This heart posture and behavioral practice of putting God first before all things is an act of worship. Like Job, who struggled internally and externally with loss and people telling him to accuse the Lord, to doubt, to drift. But instead, even though Job was gutted with suffering and heart sickness, he worshiped. This reminds me of that song um, by Hillsong, which I, I heard on, on YouTube is at the 2015 conference, Even When It Hurts, I'll Praise You, where Taya starts before she even sings by reciting Psalm sixty nine twenty nine from the Message Version of the Bible, which states, I'm hurt and in pain. Give me space for healing and mountain air. Sometimes it's easy to worship, and other times it's a sacrifice of praise. But just like in a marriage, we make a vow to love, even when sick, even when poor. I'll link the song in the episode described from YouTube. It's so good, and I hope it blesses you. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. My prayer is this found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians five twenty two through twenty four. See you tomorrow.